ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. We welcome you to Gospel Dynamite, a Christian broadcast dedicated to the salvation of the lost and the revival of God's people. I'm Alan Mashburn, your Bible teacher and the pastor of Asbury Baptist Church, located at 218 Asbury Church Road in Seagrove, North Carolina. We invite you to visit our church at 10 a.m. on Sunday mornings and Wednesday evenings at 7 o'clock. On Sunday evenings, we provide online services which can be viewed on gospeldynamite.org. Now please join me in the study of the Word of God. You're listening to Gospel Dynamite. I invite you to take your Bible to turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard, and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. In this text today, we examine an autopsy of a dead church. The church in Sardis had taken on the character of the very city in which she resided. A little background on the city will help us understand the condition of the church. Sardis was the capital of Lydia. It was founded about 1200 BC. The original city sat on top of a 1500 foot high plateau. There was a narrow road leading into the city. On either sides of that plateau were steep cliffs which made the city very safe and nearly uh, impossible for invading armies to even uh, reach there. Now, Sardis was the home of Aesop, whose fables we all heard as children growing up. Gold and silver were first minted right here. In fact, the city of Sardis was famous for the industries that operated there, carpet wool and dyed cloth, and it's said that the art of dyeing cloth was actually invented in Sardis. Now, at one time, Sardis had been one of the greatest cities in all the world, and it reached its zenith, we could say, under King Croesus. King Croesus and Sardis were famed around the world for their wealth. In fact, in that part of the world, it's still common to hear the phrase, and I quote, as wealthy as Croesus, end quote. Now, while Sardis reached its zenith under Croesus, is also fell under his reign. He and the people of the city became complacent in their wealth, in their power, and their city's apparent invincibility. 
When that region where Sardis was located came under attack by Cyrus the Persian, King Croesus and his people retreated to their city, believing that they were safe. Now one night, one of the Persian soldiers saw a Sardinian soldier drop his helmet over the wall of the city, and he watched that soldier uh, as he did, followed him a path down the side of the mountain to pick up, retrieve his helmet. When nightfall came, Cyrus and his troops followed that hidden path up the side of the mountain, entered the city while the guards slept, and then conquered Sardis. Thus Sardis regained some of its former wealth under the reign of Alexander the Great, but it was invaded and defeated later on by Antiquus the Great. Now when the Romans came, Sardis was still very wealthy, a very powerful city, but it was just a shell of its former self. By John's day, Sardis was just a shell of what it had been. The people had grown lazy, degenerate, immoral, and complacent, and Sardis was dying through apathy and indifference. The city was proud of its past, it was proud of its reputation, and by its reputation was all it had left. For all intents and purposes, the city of Sardis was dead even while it lived. Apparently, the church in Sardis had adopted the atmosphere of the city, and the church had become a thermometer that registered the temperature of the city instead of a thermostat that changed the temperature of the city. It is to this church that had become lazy, apathetic, and complacent that the Lord Jesus comes. Just as surely as the city of Sardis was dying, so was the church of Christ in that city. Jesus has no words of commendation for them, but he does have words of counsel. I want us to consider the words of Jesus to this church today, and as we examine this portion of Scripture, we see that Jesus, the great physician, performs an autopsy on this dead church. First, I'd call your attention to verse 1. The great physician has a pronouncement here. He comes immediately proclaiming his deity. Jesus comes to this church as one who has the seven spirits of God and is one who is holding the seven stars. The seven spirits of God refer to the Holy Spirit in his complete ministry and the sevenfold ministry of the Spirit is defined in Isaiah 11 and verse 2. In his hand is the plentitude of the Holy Spirit. This is a reminder to the churches that we are not to operate not under the power of human skill, leadership, and organization but under the awesome power of the Holy Spirit, when the church walks in the power of the flesh, we, we surely fail. But when we walk in the power of the Spirit of God, there is much success. There will be glory and there will be power and life instead of deadness and in effectiveness. Seven stars are the pastors of the churches, according to Revelation 1 and verse 20. They are the messengers who bring the people the word of God. Jesus appears 
as one who has everything the church needs to succeed. And that's very important. The Spirit has all the power that the churches need, and he has everything that they need. Now Jesus seems to be saying that if you'll submit to me, you'll find me in me all that you need to accomplish my mission in the world. And that's the message to the modern church today. We have every method available to us. In fact, you can come up with a method on how to grow a church. It doesn't necessarily have to work, but you can sell it. Men are trying every method under the sun to reach sinners and to do the work of the church. But all the power we need is found in the fullness of the Holy Spirit and in the Word of God. And what we need is not a new method. What we need is a new desire to seek the fullness of the Holy Spirit and to do everything according to the teaching of the Word of God. Jesus tells them, I know thy works. He comes as one who sees all and knows all. He does not commend their works. He does not commend, uh, condemn their works. He merely tells them that he knows everything that they are doing, and he knows everything that you and I are doing as well. He knows your heart. He knows everything that you do. He knows why you do it, and that's a sobering thought. Now, apparently, their works gave them the appearance of life. Jesus tells them that they have that reputation. They were a busy, working church with a great reputation among men, but from all outward appearances, this church was everything a church ought to be. They believed the right things. They were busy doing all good things all over the community. Everyone who saw them looked at them and said, that church is on fire. And I'm sure that when people moved to Sardis from other towns, their pastors suggested that they visit this church. Had all the appearances of life, but things were not as they seemed. The great physician placed his finger on the pulse of the church and pronounced them dead. No matter what others thought, Jesus knew the truth. Regardless of what others may have thought about the church, Jesus proclaimed the truth. And he tells him that even though everyone thinks that they're alive, they are in fact dead. And the word means just what it says. Like a dead man, the church at Sardis was destitute of force or power. They were ineffective. They were inoperative. They were dead. There was activity, but there was not spiritual in nature. There was busyness, but it was nothing bringing eternal, anything eternal to pass. They were preaching, but lives were not being changed. Sinners were not being saved. They were busy, but they were not operating in the power of the Spirit of God. Everyone looked at them and spoke about their life. They were busy. They were operating in the energy of the flesh, but they were not operating in the energy of the Spirit of God. Everyone looked at them, thought they looked great, but the Savior looked at them and said, they look absolutely dead. Now, many, many churches are in that same shape today. They have all the appearances of life, but the great physician who has his finger on their pulse knows they are dead. Now, here's some signs that are uh, very obvious that a church is dying. A dying church seems to rest entirely on its past accomplishments and they're satisfied with their present state. A dying church is more concerned about their rituals and their formalities than they are about true spirituality. 
The dying church is more concerned about social change than they are seeing the change of people by the power of God. A dying church is more concerned with material growth and spiritual growth. A dying church is more concerned with pleasing men than pleasing God. A dying church clings more tightly to its creeds and confessions than it does to the word of God. A dying church is one that loses its conviction that is the word of God and that the Bible is the literal word of God. I'd also call your attention to verses 2 and 3 as we see the great physician's prescription. Now, the church in Sardis is in sad shape, but not all is lost. It appears that there's still hope for them to make some changes and get back where they need to be. They're told to be watchful. Literally, this means that they're to chase sleep. This church is a church with a glorious past. They have allowed their past success to lull them into a state of complacency and spiritual slumber. Now, Jesus calls them to chase away sleep. His command is for them to wake up and to realize that the victories of yesterday are not sufficient for today. The people in Sardis would have understood exactly what Jesus was speaking about. As I mentioned earlier, Sardis was located on top of a mountain. It had one entrance on the southern end, which was the only way you could get into the city in the old days. Therefore, all that Sardis had to do was to put a detail at that one place to watch the city. But on two occasions in their history, they had been invaded by their enemies because they had felt secure, believing that the hill was completely impregnable and the guard wouldn't sleep on the job. In 549 B.C., the soldiers of Cyrus scaled up the hill and then again in 218 B.C. When we allow ourselves to sleep because of what we have enjoyed in the past, we're going to find ourselves conquered by the enemy. Friends, this happens far too often in our churches. A church will struggle in its beginning and the core group will who founded that church will have to work, pray, witness, give, yield to God to see the church stay alive. And over time, more people come in, more money comes in, buildings are built, good services are enjoyed. Yet in the midst of all these good times, something terrible happens. The church begins to lose the vision that made them so strong to begin with. They become content to sit back and enjoy the fruits of their labors. And while we ought to be thankful for what God has done for us, we should never come up to a place where we let up. There's no time to look back to yesterday. Our vision ought to be for today and for tomorrow. Look around, we're aging. Every one of us are aging. And friends, soon we're all going to age out. Who's going to take our place? Look around. You may be full, but the vision is gone. Look around. We're satisfied with what we have. We've lost the fire that made us strong. We must fight the tendency that causes us to become still, satisfied, complacent, and apathetic. Pastors who stay in pastorates all their life because of comfort, 
fear of trusting God in faith. Simply on an ego kick. They may see spiritual growth. They may even see numerical growth. But then all that tapers off because it becomes more about their ministry rather than the Lord's ministry. If I die today and our church ceases to exist, then it's not built on God. It's built on man. And my friend, that's wrong. And I'm also certain that this is not true of the church I pastor, but it is true of some of the churches around us. My friend, that's a terrible testimony of our stewardship of service to God. His work cannot be built on a flesh and blood of a man. His work must be built on him and him alone. Now the Lord gives this church four activities that they are to be busily engaged in. And these things will help any church that's been caught napping on Jesus. They are revive, remember, resolve, and repent. First, we deal with revive. The Bible says, strengthen the things which remain. He tells them that not everything about them has died. There's still some things that have a spark of life in them, and these things are to be revived before they die out. The phrase that are ready to die here literally means that they're knocking on death's door. This is a call for them to get stirred up again for the things of God. It's a call to revival. And the Bible says, For I have not found thy works perfect before God. It means that their works are incomplete and do not even reach heaven. There are some things in their midst that may be good, but there are works that need reviving because they have lost their passion, their whole purpose of serving him out of heart of love, and thus makes them to have no eternal difference. There may be singing, there may be praying, there may be preaching and giving, but their works were not even reaching heaven. They were accomplishing nothing of eternal value. They were a dead people with dead works. It is possible to be busy in the things of God and yet to be doing nothing for God. Now, unless our works are complete, they will never reach heaven and there will be no glory for God in the church. What churches like this need to be stirred by the Spirit of God into new life and activity for the glory of God. Then he offers the word remember. He says, remember therefore how thou hast received and heard. These people are counseled to remember where the Lord brought them from and what he's done for them. They're to remember the days when they served the Lord out of a glad heart and wanted more than anything to do his will. They are to remember what it was like to walk in the power of God while the fire of his glory burned in and he used them for his glory. If we're able to do anything, it should be to remember what God has done for us and what he can still do again. Then he offers the word resolve. He says, hold fast. 
This church is to hold on to the things that are still alive in their midst. They are to resolve before the Lord that they will not allow those things to die as well. Friends, there's always a danger in focusing our attention in one area or another. We can't revive one thing while we allow another one to die. Doing so leaves us in the same condition that we're already in. What we're looking for is total transformation that pre preserves the living things and revives the dead things. Then he offers the word repent. In this verse, they are confronted concerning their sin. And when the things of God are allowed to die, the only recourse the church has is repentance. And the idea of repentance is a foreign one to many in our day and time. People seem to have the opinion that whatever they do is just fine and should be accepted by everyone. My friend, God is not obliged to accept the things you do. When there's sin in the life of, of an individual, there must be repentance before there can be restoration and revival. The same is true for a church. When a church has allowed itself to be lulled into a state of slumber, there is only one hope, and that is to repent. We must examine and ask the question, what does it mean to repent? It means that we come to a place where we experience a change of mind about our sins that results in a change of direction. We turn from our sins and we turn toward God. Repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of action. Then they're told to wait. Bible says, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now the church is told that if they will not do the serious work of changing themselves, the Lord Jesus will come into their midst and take away the things that remain alive. And that church will be totally and functionally and fully dead. Verses 4 through 6, we see the great physician's promises. As bad as things were in Sardis, there were some there who were saved and seeking to serve the Lord. And they're given the Lord's promise that they will walk with the Lord in white. They've lived out the truth in this world, and they can be confident they will share his glory in that world. White clothing was worn in Roman times during festivals and times of celebration was a symbol of purity, victory, and festivity. This was a promise to the faithful members of that church. Jesus seems to be saying, you folks are standing faithful. You have not defiled your garments with the deadness that exists all around you. You're saved, you're serving, and one day you're going to walk with me in heaven. It's going to be a time of victory, purity, and festivity. That's his promise to all those who are saved by his grace. And Jesus in verse 5 tells the rest that, that if they will repent and turn to him, they will receive some precious promises. 
Bible says the same shall be clothed in white raiment. They will be made pure and victorious. And then he says, I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. They will be made secure in the relationship that they have with him. By the way, God is not saying that he blots out names. This verse is often used by people who try to say that Christians can lose their salvation. It's not a verse that serves as a threat of loss. It's a verse that offers a precious promise of absolute security to all those who believe in Christ. There is a lot that can be said about these books. It appears that there is a book of life that contains all the names of the living, according to Exodus 32 and verse 32. It also appears that there's a, a Lamb's book of life that contains all the names of the redeemed, Revelation 21 and verse 27. When a person is saved, their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. And Jesus said that this was the real reason for rejoicing in Luke chapter 10 and verse 20. Now, it may be that when a person dies lost, their name is blotted out of the book of the living. So when the end comes, the names written in both books, they completely match. Scripture also says, I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. Someday Jesus will usher his redeemed ones into the presence of the host of heaven and say, this is one of mine. He was not ashamed of me and I'm not ashamed of him. You see, the majority of the people in the church of Sardis were not just cold and out of God's will. They were lost. They were dead sinners in need of salvation. And Jesus comes to them to give them an opportunity to be saved. It might sound prideful and arrogant, but I'm convinced that most churches are filled with a lot of lost sinners. Oh, they go through the motion. They're merely practicing dead works. And churches in that shape do not need a revival. They need resurrection. In closing, Vance Havner, great preacher from yesteryear, once commented that ministries often begin with a man who has a vision. That vision is captured by others and it becomes a movement. And as the movement gains followers and momentum, it becomes a machine. After a while, people forget all about the vision. And what was once a movement becomes nothing more than a monument to a man and a glorious past. Friends, there's always a danger that any church can die. Friends, there's a danger that any individual can come to a point that they seem like they're full of life. They seem like they're doing the right thing. But in reality, we're just going through the motion. That's when the great physician must put his finger on the pulse of the church and every member. And he reveals to us in our heart what we must do with him. What does his touch reveal about us? Does it show us exactly what we must do and confess to him? I want to challenge each one of us to examine our hearts and the lives of our churches. And if he's spoken to us about any need, we must come to him. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. We trust it's been a blessing. Trust you'll have a great week in the Lord. Log on to our website, gospeldynamite.org. And let us know if you've accepted Christ or this message has helped you. 
God bless you and we trust you have a great day in the Lord.